Hello and welcome to the Toast podcast with me, Laura Barton. For our second series, The Unknown Path, I'm meeting six different authors, actors and naturalists to discuss the various and often unexpected routes their lives have taken. Elif Shafak appears to have led many lives in a little over four decades. Born in Strasbourg, her early life was spent in Turkey with her mother and her grandmother, before her mother's role as a diplomat took them to live in various postings overseas. She's the author of 16 books and her work has been translated into 49 languages. I meet Elif amid the birdsong of London's Holland Park to talk about her upbringing, women's rights, global politics and what it means to belong. So I've just finished my my new novel and when I look at my books, to me it's interesting to see how each and every one of them is different. I hadn't intended them that way, but that's how it happened, because I think I was a different person. Uh, With each and every book, you change a little bit. Something changes inside me, and I think books do change their writers. But that said, I think there are some underlying currents uh, in each and every one of them. I've always been interested in people who have been on the periphery, people who have been silenced. There's, There's... there's a desire perhaps in me to give them a voice or to hear their voices. So I always want to bring the periphery to the center to make the invisible more visible, to make the unheard more heard. And that's why minorities always play an important role in my books, whether it's sexual, ethnic, cultural minorities or anyone for whatever reason feels like the other in any given context. I'm always interested in hearing that person's story and and trying to make that person's story heard by others as well. Do you personally, just as an individual and also as a writer, feel it on the periphery? That's an excellent question and I, I do believe that I felt ever since my childhood on the edge of the society, if I may put it that way, partly because uh, I was born in France and shortly afterwards my parents separated and my mother brought me to Turkey. Of course, it was her motherland. For me, it was a new country. And we came to my grandmother's house. This was a very conservative neighborhood in Ankara, in Turkey, very patriarchal. And my mom had to go back to university. She was a very young divorcee at the time. And my grandmother raised me. And that whole setting was quite unusual. We were very unusual in that neighborhood. Everyone had big extended families, uh, very patriarchal families. And I felt like the other. Um, Maybe also my relationship with my own father, because I've never seen him as I was growing up. And he had two other kids. Um, and they were very close, so maybe I felt like the other in that context as well. But I believe the main existential otherness that I have experienced was cultural. Even in my own motherland, I felt like an insider-outsider, enough of an insider to understand and to love, but also enough of an outsider to look at things maybe from a cognitive distance. And that feeling never, never abandoned me whenever, wherever I went the boldness of your mother's decisions and to go through a divorce so young and to go back to university and then to travel and to take you with her has that galvanized you throughout your life to throw yourself into new experiences it did affect me a lot to to see the solidarity i call it sisterhood between my mother and my grandmother and they were very very different women very different characters so when my mom came back to turkey with me 
um, normally because she was a, such a young divorcee and because she had dropped out of university thinking that love would be enough that was a big mistake she made um, by the time she had come back she didn't have a diploma she didn't have money she didn't have a job you know nothing to fall back on and usually women in such a position are immediately married off to someone else usually to someone older that is the way the system works and it was my grandmother who intervened and she said no you should go back you should have a job you should have a career you should have a diploma she was my grandma was not very well educated but she was a big big supporter of uh, women's education i've seen that throughout her life and so i stayed with her and her house was very magical you know full of magic and superstitions but basically i think my mother's independence she did graduate eventually with flying colors she did become a diplomat and uh, together we traveled a lot and i was able to get a very good education thereafter but i never forgot my grandmother's intervention and support could you tell us where your mother's job as a diplomat took you when you were growing up when i was 10 years old in ankara i was zoomed to madrid i went to an international school where i was the only turk then i went to a british college uh, then we went to amman jordan and germany cologne then my mom went to japan but i came to istanbul in my early 20s because i thought the city was calling me and i really fell in love with istanbul and i lived long years in istanbul um, but there came a moment when I felt also suffocated in Istanbul. So I went to Boston, Arizona, Michigan, and then I went back to Istanbul, moved to London. And ever since then, I've been a Londoner. When you went back to Istanbul, uh, what was it that drew you there? What was the feeling that you were looking for? I think some cities around the world have that kind of power or charm. You know, they do call us as if there's something we need to achieve and that is very irrational but at the same time there are cities like that and Istanbul is one of them and for people with a creative mind it is like a treasure because it's a city full of stories that have not been told yet all these conflicts the colors the layers of the city it's a very ancient city civilization upon civilization and, and yet at the same time I think Turkey is a country of amnesia we forget very easily so that contrast uh, struck me a lot you know when you're in a, in a very old city but people have no memory of the past I think that's when a novelist starts asking questions could you tell me uh, some of the things you were reading while you were traveling so much because I'm imagining as a young woman who felt on the periphery growing up that books must have been your friend yeah. that is very true and it started quite early because you know I was an only child I was a lonely child and uh, I thought life was very boring and I I thought Storyland was much more colourful. And this is how I started writing, actually. My mother gave me a journal and asked me to keep a diary. But again, because I thought my days were very boring, there was nothing interesting about the reality. So I started making up things that had not really happened. From then onwards, I moved towards novels where I felt more comfortable inside that big canvas. But my reading lists have always been very eclectic. I read a lot of political science actually but at the same time I write more I, I read more mystical books I read poetry you know anything that everything that speaks to me what matters is to make the the act of reading constant you know and and an open-ended journey so as well as being friends books have often been milestones I guess in your life are there particular ones that you would associate with particular times in your life that you would you would mention now 
I never forget the first time I read Charles Dickens. It, it had a huge impact on me. I never thought, I was very young, I never thought you could write a story like that. It was a tale of uh, two cities and I read it in Turkish. But I did follow uh, English literature closely. I also followed Russian literature closely. Obviously, Turkish literature had a big impact. So there were different stages in my life when, you know, discovering another culture through its storytellers just opened up another world for me. And, I, and I've never forgotten those moments. There's, a, there's an old book now called The Bridge Over the Drina by a Balkan writer called Ivo Andrich. And uh, there was a scene in that book when two Balkan peasants were talking about the Ottoman Empire and one of them was criticizing, the other one was kind of defending. And I had gone to school in Turkey and I had swallowed a very nationalistic education. It had never occurred to me to look at the system through the eyes of the outsider, you know. It never occurred to me to ask, well, how would I have felt had I been a Serbian peasant or a concubine in the harem or an Armenian silversmith or a Jewish miller or a Kurdish peasant? How would I have felt about the system, you know? So just those shifting angles. And it was like eye-opening for me reading that novel. And at, in an age in which we are divided into tribes, collectivistic identities, this matters perhaps even more than any other time because they restore our individuality, but not in a very, not in a selfish way. They do it in such a way that we connect with the rest of humanity, you know. But you're not necessarily a part of a tribe. When you're reading a novel, in fact, you become the other, or maybe you realize the other is my sister, the other is my brother, the other is me. You know, the other is not that different than me. To me, those connections are very important. But for me to make that inner journey, I need to slow down. When you were young and living in, in Turkey, would your grandmother and your mother tell you stories? Were they passed down to you? Yes, it's quite interesting. Countries like Turkey, where there is sadly almost no freedom of speech and uh, there's a lot of pressure on writers, journalists. At the same time, words have a power you know and words matter stories matter so i've seen that side as well and people care about books they share books mostly women read fiction and if they like a book they just pass it on they give it to their sister or send it to their cousin and so every signing day in, in turkey i've witnessed the same thing you would take a copy and it has been read by four to five people on average underlining different sentences using different colored pens. So that word of mouth, that sharing of stories is very precious. But while that is happening in written culture, there's also an oral culture. There's always a desire in me to bridge these two worlds, mostly because of my grandmother's influence on me, because I grew up listening to her stories. And it always fascinates me to see how culture and memory is transferred from grandmothers to granddaughters in such cultures. You must have learned very early on um, the skills and the techniques of becoming the other, just moving through different cultures, I suppose. I did, partly because of my own upbringing, my own experience, but also when you move to another culture and you start questioning um, maybe the stereotypes, you know, the things that they, they take for granted. 
I had to think at an early age, what does it mean to have a national identity? You know, am I a representative of something bigger than myself or am I just myself? What do I want to be? The way I think about it right now is we can have multiple belongings in life. You know, we're many, many composed of many, many voices, many selves. I like plurality and I see human beings uh, as a composition of all those multiple voices. And to belong to the UK now, or currently for the moment, how does it feel to stay in one place for a while for you? You've had such a, an itinerant life so far. I, I do feel that London has become very central to my life. Uh, over time, I've been here for a long time now. Over time, I became a British citizen. Of course, I'm very attached to Istanbul and love that city. I have lots of elements in my soul from the Middle East. I'm a European by birth, by choice, the values that I share and I uphold. And I'm very happy to be able to say that I'm also British. And I would like to think of myself as a, as a global soul, as a world citizen. I know these words are not favorable anymore, but to me they are. They are positive concepts. So why not? Why can't we have multiple belongings? If we can do that, uh, I think there's a bigger chance of our belongings to overlap and for us to find a common ground. When you look back at the young girl that you were in France and in Ankara, does the path that your life has taken and all the places you've been and all the things you've done and continue to do, does it add up? Does it make sense or does it surprise you? I think for a long time I saw myself as a nomad and when you have a nomadic life, you fail to accumulate. Uh, nonetheless, I think we do accumulate so much, maybe not objects, but something inside our soul. And from every travel, from every city, I have learned a lot. And in life, I sincerely believe we learn from people who are different than us. You know, if, if we're a replica of each other, we don't have much to learn from each other. Uh, we don't learn from echoes, you know. So to me, to live in a city where there is diversity, is incredibly precious. So the world has changed an awful lot in the time that you've been writing and and become smaller and one city has become much like another. Do you think if you did the exact same journey that you've taken, that path from, from France right to where you are now in London through many, many countries, would it be as rich and inspiring and surprising to somebody setting off now? Life is always evolving. Cities are constantly shifting. So uh, for a curious mind, any city, and particularly a city like Istanbul, would still have lots of treasures, you know, because Turkey is a fascinatingly complicated country. You know, it's really very difficult to put in a box. What about the, the path of women during the time you've been writing? Uh, I think back to what your mum went through and... and the choices she made that were very brave choices but also that thread between your grandmother and your mother and you and and how the role of women and the path of women has changed so much even in the last 12 months yeah, that is true turkey is a very patriarchal society it's a very homophobic society and i wish i could say to you that nonetheless we have made a lot of progress I fear I can't even say that. I think we have been sliding backwards. Uh, the first people who suffer from that slide backwards are women and minorities. You know, we have much more to lose. And in such countries, sexism also rises. I long for a kind of women's movement that embraces women from all backgrounds, 
That said, I don't want to give the impression that Turkish women are passive at all. There are many women in Turkey, Turkish, Kurdish, Alevi, Jewish, Armenian, Greek women of all backgrounds who are very, who are very vocal, who are very powerful in their own areas. Does that galvanize you as a writer to keep having a, a strong female voice out there and, and a strong questioning voice out there? I honestly, sincerely believe we need more women's voices, in the, particularly in the public space. We need more diversity in the public space. And I think it's important for women to speak up louder, bolder, but also to listen to each other. And as I said, to go beyond our echo chambers, there's a lot to achieve. Uh, so in my opinion, we all need to be feminists. We all need to be activists for human rights, for freedom of speech. Each person in their own way. I do that through stories. And I believe it's very important for writers to rehumanize people who have been dehumanized constantly. To me, that's one of the, the important, um, almost magical impacts of, of literature. You've been listening to The Toast Podcast with me, Laura Barton. The producer is Jeff Bird, and the series was conceived by Emily Mears. You can subscribe to The Toast Podcast via your usual podcast provider or listen on Toast Magazine, which can be found via the Toast website, www.toa.st. Our third series will be launching in autumn.